You're listening to another episode of Carte Blanche, the podcast. All the stories you've come to love on a Sunday night, plus some extra content exclusive to the podcast. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. But for now, enjoy today's episode. It was a quiet Sunday morning like any other. Residents of Yachesfontein were still in bed, some maybe getting ready for church. But when a rumbling sound started echoing through the sleepy town just before six, no one could have imagined the devastation to follow. Towering over Yachesfontein is a diamond tailings dam. Its wall had collapsed, releasing waves of grey sludge. Within minutes, homes, cars, animals and people were swept away. Now as residents rebuild their lives and their homes, we ask, could it have been prevented? And could this happen again? Here's Claire Mawisa. A hundred kilometers south of Bloemfontein in the Free State lies the sleepy mining town of Yachesfontein. It's just before six o'clock on Sunday, the 11th of September, 2022, and the residents of Yachesfontein have no idea what's about to befall them. Moments later, the dam used to store water and waste from the mine here, known as the Tailings Dam, was about to change their lives. I heard rumbling. I thought it was rain. I ignored it and slept again. I heard the noise and opened the windows and curtains. It wasn't the wind. It wasn't the rain. At six, the Tailings Dam burst, sending a deadly mudslide directly towards the community, located just a few meters away. Once a thriving diamond mining town in the late 1800s, Yachesfontein had seen better days by the time the De Beers mine shut down in 1973. But in 2010, a sense of optimism swept through the area when a mining company, Yachesfontein Developments, rolled into town, reprocessing the old mine dumps known as tailings from the original excavation leaving the ever-expanding mine tailings dam ominously looming over the town. I woke up and went outside. I realized the dam had broken. Lindile Saula was one of the first people to witness the collapse of the dam. It became dark. There was dust and a loud sound. It came like the ocean. I dropped everything and ran outside. When I was running, I called out to my neighbors to run. 300 meters away, his neighbor, Tamsanga Mukwane, was still trying to get his wife and son to safety. My wife and kid were sleeping. I said, please wake up. By the time my son got out the gate, the water was high. I grabbed him and helped him over the fence. 
1.5 million cubic liters of mine waste in the form of sand, mud and water was hurtling through the community. It's probably the size of a small hill cascading down on, on the community in a, in a very watery um, form. Um, so it's a huge amount of um, material. Geotechnical engineer Dr. Charles McRobert has studied the disaster. It's got a high smectite content, which is just a type of clay. So it's not toxic um, per se, but it's just very mobile um, and it can be very destructive. It hit everything and swept everything. That's what's happened to our houses. We lost everything. Just a few kilometers away, farmer Alberta Spanstaden received a desperate plea for help. Just after seven, the neighbor sent me a message saying the dam wall broke and I must come and help. I then phoned the neighbors who are further downstream and told them to get their animals out of the water and to pull out their pumps. We were a little too late. It happened too fast. And then the water that came down here the sludge covered the sheep. We couldn't save them all. It wasn't only animals, it was also people. We got two people here that the mud brought here, just here in the felt. I got the, um, the message probably around about just after eight. We just know there was a tailing storm that collapsed and from that you know the devastation can be very dramatic. As the news of the disaster filtered across the country, director of independent mine monitoring company TSF Risk Solutions, Yandre de Vett, assembled a team to assist in the rescue efforts and damage assessment. The devastation was overwhelming. I was quite taken aback. What was something for me was, you know, standing standing on a foundation of a house that was completely swept away. That was that was quite quite eye-opening to me. We did a reconnaissance of the, um, the area. Uh, there were still um, reports of a missing, a missing lady. That woman was one of several people missing that morning. My neighbor, she was standing in front of a shack when I ran. I heard she was swept away. They are still looking for her body. Buti, what happened to Ine Bayako? Monday we heard that forensics confirmed that the old man had died. It was in the southeastern corner, well actually in the middle, okay. in, in the southern part where there was a collapse uh, and it was not a a break. Yachus Fontaine Development's legal compliance officer, Marius de Villiers, says he's still baffled by the collapse. It was, it seems as if there was a sagging yes, okay. of the wall on one side. And that's where I want to say, you know, that I won't be able to determine why that occurred. There's probably two levels um, of what went wrong. There's what went wrong physically on the morning. Um, and 
there's that's there's what went wrong before that. So um, tailings dams are not they're inanimate. They don't make decisions to fail. So people take decisions within a knowledge base to prevent failure. By 12 p.m. that Sunday, the extent of the damage was clear. The mudslide had left the town reeling with no power or water. Over 250 people were displaced, houses had been swept away and roads flooded. One person was confirmed dead, whilst three more were unaccounted for. Sunday morning, communities started to calling us in distress, so we immediately dispatched our teams from all over. Later that morning, Gift of the Givers coordinator, Corrine Conradi, started to receive desperate calls. Nobody had drinking water since Sunday. Nobody could enter and nobody could get out until most of the sludge were cleared. So when we arrived with the water, people started to drink immediately. The main need is personal hygiene items. It's, a, it's of course food, it's mattresses, it's your blankets. Electricity is off in all of these areas. So people are making fires to prepare their food. In the aftermath of this deadly disaster, the community is left to pick up the pieces. Hundreds have been affected and homes have been obliterated. What stings is the thought that this catastrophe could have been avoided. Reports would come out that two years prior, the Free State Provincial Government ordered the company to cease operations for exceeding their authorized storage limit and that the Department of Water and Sanitation issued a warning to stabilize the walls of the dam. It is something that is foremost in our minds is to prevent this type of failure. If we look back at a lot of failures, we often see that it's, it's not a poor understanding of the, the science behind the problem but just a failure to implement or make good decisions. We told them that the dam is not safe. We told the managers of the mines for four to five years. De Villiers claims that the community has never raised concerns about the stability of the dam with Yachas Fontaine developments. It's never been raised. The concerns around the dam has never been raised? Not, not as far as I'm concerned that was raised to me personally. Some people have lost everything, including family members. What would you say to them? I understand and, 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 and I understand their position. But I think if we look at what the mine and what Jagersfontein and developments and for instance, the trust, which is a trust belonging uh, is for the benefit of the community has done over the last 10, 12 years. I, I think that's unfounded. He says that the reports that the dam was too full and overflowed leading to erosion and collapse of the wall are incorrect. At this stage when, when the break uh, uh, occurred, I think the, uh, the uh, freeboard was in the region of about five meters, so well within. A freeboard is the vertical distance from the surface of the water to the top of the dam wall and should always be monitored closely. So it was the structural integrity of the dam that was compromised if you're saying that the freeboard was five meters. 
Yahoo-Spontane Developments has allocated 20 million rand towards the relief effort and de Villiers promises that there will be a thorough investigation. Do you take responsibility for what has happened here in Yahoo-Spontane? Well, we as a, as a company, you know, responsibility is, I mean, if we are the owners, we are responsible. Mm -hmm. But obviously it will depend what the position is with what happened. And what that, does that that's mean? what we're trying to establish. Aerial footage shows that the grey sludge has washed many kilometers downstream from the dam, causing environmental damage that is yet to be counted. There is about a thousand hectares under sludge. And further downstream, there are a lot of farmers. There is an irrigation farmer who cannot irrigate because of the sludge. Could this have been prevented? Uh, I, I haven't got an answer for you on that. I've got to qualify say, it. People say if you have to qualify, then the answer is yes. The answer is I don't know. For now, all that the residents of Yachas Pontaine can do is to pick up the pieces of their lives and salvage what they can. Yechelsfontein gives us a terrifying glimpse into what a tailings dam wall failure could look like. Another tailings dam on our radar is the massive Gariran Dam in the Val. You can find that story right here, titled A Dam Mess. Hi, I'm Derek Watts, and your weekend is not over. Why not start each morning with Carte Blanche, the podcast? A unique story bringing you unique perspectives on the go. You can now take us with you anywhere, anytime. Go on, hit that follow and subscribe button. You know you want to.